As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. If you think you know the answer, you might give the zoo a call right now at 2... It's 5.30 in the morning, and Mike Reiner is already at work. All right, all right, all right. Hey, everybody. It is another edition of Square One, which can be accessed right here on The Athletic. I do hope you're an Athletic subscriber. If you're not an Athletic subscriber, and I'll be very careful to say that right the first time and say all of my syllables and everything. If you're not... You should be, especially if you're a sports nerd like me. If you're a sports nerd, it is absolutely indispensable. It is there and only there that you can find the work of the great Levi Weaver on the Rangers, John Mashoda on the Cowboys, Tim Cato on the Mavericks, Saad Youssef doing everything that he he does. He's a all-around fabulous utility player. Whatever needs doing, Saad can do it. And, of course, Sean Shapiro on the Stars, in addition to many, many others. I'm Mike Reiner. This is Square One. Here, they allow me to do pretty much whatever I want. Sometimes that's sportsy. Sometimes it is not. And today, we are going to wander pretty far away from the sports page. I'm very excited about the guest we have today who we will introduce in just a moment, but we need a little setup here first. A few days ago, I was rummaging around the phone or the iPad or something. It was the middle of the day, and I was just taking a momentary check to see what was going on out there, and I log on and boom, Right there, it hits me. Eddie Van Halen dead at 65. Now, my first reaction to this was, okay, whose idea of a joke is this? But then I looked up at the top of the page and I saw the TMZ logo. Now, when you see the TMZ logo on something like that, that means one thing and one thing only, and that is that it is absolutely, positively, 100% on the square. 
TMZ is not in the business of making mistakes. They can't. They have too many people who would just love to see them run out of business and off the face of the planet altogether. And for them to exist, they got to make sure that they get all their stuff right. And they unfailingly do. And in the intervening days, we have all uh, had to come to grips with the notion that, yes, this is, in fact, the case. The great Eddie Van Halen no longer roams the planet, as you and I are fortunate enough to do. This got me to thinking, okay, Square One needs to do something on Eddie Van Halen. But um, my place on Van Halen is kind of an unusual one. I was never a big fan, but that was not because of Eddie Van Halen. I definitely understood and saw his greatness. It was somebody else in the band that rubbed me the wrong way. But it set me to thinking, okay, you need somebody to come on and explain this to you. And I rummaged around all my headspace, and I couldn't come up with anybody that I thought could do this. So yesterday I took to Twitter and asked those people who I should get to do this. A lot of names came up, but there is one that kept coming up over and over again. The only thing was, I didn't know this guy. However, I have a number of people in my circle who do. So I petitioned them, and they petitioned him, and through the miracle of human interaction, we were able to bring this all together, and I'm very, very pleased Today on Square One, Episode 8, recorded on this day in October, the 15th or 16th, or no, actually it's the 8th. Sorry, I have no sense of time anymore. But anyway, let's say hello to the great Andy Timmons. Hey, Mike. Hey, thanks so much for for having me on. Man, just hearing you say those words, I got choked up again. Eddie, you know, Eddie Van Halen dead. It's just... Yep, it's hard to come to grips with, it's, isn't it? It's a it's a, it's, a, it's a big one, it, and it really is. Um, uh, no, for for me, when when Van Halen came out, what is it, seventy eight? So I was the wee lad of uh, maybe fifteen, mm-hmm. and uh, I had been playing, you know, even professionally since age of thirteen. So I was I was a solid rock player, but you know, Eddie coming along, the sound of the band, and particularly his playing, just. It was, it was, you know, it was one of the big moments in electric guitar history, as Hendrix was, as Clapton was in a way, as, you know, Cliff Gallup and J- James Burton were early on and Scotty Moore. This, he was, he was the guy of my generation that came along and, and literally changed everything with, with, you know, a minute and 42 seconds. That was eruption, you know. Mm-hmm. Did you recognize this right away? Uh, absolutely it was it was <laughs> my my very fond memory is sitting in the driveway in my home where i grew up in evansville indiana so i kind of grew up in a smallish midwestern town and you know uh, i had an older brother well, I had three older brothers but the one nearest to me in age my, my older brother brian he would have been if i was 15 he was he was 19 and he had this this cool chevy love truck one of those little mi- early mini little you know pickup trucks but he had the best sound system in town in this thing i don't know how he fit everything in there, but there's like, you know, speakers behind the seats and the whole cab just shook when he would play, you know, whatever rock. And he was a big rock fan. So, you know, listening to eight tracks in my brother's truck were fond memories for me. 
And I won't, I'll never forget when, when, when an eruption came on. I guess he, he wanted to play me Running With The Devil, which was a nice song. But song two, track two on the record. So clearly Van Halen, Ted Templeman, Warner Brothers wanting to make a statement. Here is, here's the, there's a new sheriff in town. And eruption comes on and we just didn't know what was happening. You know, there's, there certainly had been plenty of rock guitar players that came before Eddie. But there was really something unrecognizable in what we were about to hear in that, you know, what we eventually learned was a, a two-handed, you know, on the fretboard technique. Mm-hmm. No, nobody ever really had done, it's called tapping. Nobody had really taken this technique to any kind of level. There had been some jazz guys, and somebody even mentioned Steve Hackett in Genesis. There might have been some of this being, you know, used along the way, but... So, but anyway, even 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 that we eventually learned that through guitar magazines. But when this sound, this flowing cascade of of melodic arpeggio started flowing out of the speakers in this manner, we just literally had no idea. It was just a sound like we hadn't heard before. Just, but instantly recognizable as WTF. You know, just it was just one of those earth earth. It really was an earth shaking moment. It can't be understated. It's like. If you'd have heard, you know, you know, Hendrix is still marvelous today. There's, you know, his his innovation, what he brought to the guitar. But imagine hearing that, and but for the first time in '67, you know, when there hadn't been really anything that close to it. You know, you, Jeff Beck had done shapes of things, and there was a bit of feedback on there. But but Jimmy just took things to this whole over other level, and that's and that's Eddie for the next generation, whatever it was. Twelve years later, here we are with this sound, you know. And the attitude, there's, you know, we, I guess we, we, we could talk for a long time on this, but there was a swagger that the whole band had, but it really, you know, starting with the guitar and, and arguably with Alex's drums, you know, the way those two played together, it just had a feel to it. But as a guitar player and as a young kid, like, you know, thinking I've got this thing, I've got the, you know, I got my rock pin in you. My guys were, I, I, I grew up, uh, you know, when I was learning to play, it was Kiss Alive and the first Nugent record and Foghat right. and Alex Lyson with Rush. And these were perfect guys to learn from because they had all the the 60s blues rock guys, the, the, the Yardbirds offspring, the, the Claptons and Becks and Pages. You know, and they, they had wrapped up those kind of bluesy stock licks in a nice, you know, uh, digestible way for a young kid learning by ear. We didn't have videos. We didn't have... You know the world in our back pocket with all this information. We had to, we had a record player, and if we were lucky to see anybody on TV, great. Yeah, you did it the hard way. You put on the records and figured it out for yourself. <laughs> well, that's you know it's in, I, I, at my you know I'm 57 now, so I've been playing you know for for many years. So, so I'm teaching a lot more in my later life, which I really enjoy. And the thing that it always gets back to is that the most valuable tool as a musician is your ear, meaning your ability to, to hear something, recognize what it is, and then find it on the fretboard. The more you do it, the quicker it is to find. And then that, and that develops what I call the R-elect, which is your kind of the intellect of your ear, meaning that, you know, if you've got something in your mind, you can just play it. You know, you've got that relationship. There's no barrier now between instru- instrument and and uh, your your musical mind, right? So right, it goes straight from the mind to the fingerboard. That's, I mean, that's kind of the goal. I mean, I remember seeing Roy Clark on Hee Haw when I was a kid, and they would feature him every now and then. In, 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 in between all the country shtick, there 
they'd let him play a tune every now and then. And when he did, man, he could flat out burn on, on the guitar. And I just remember having this thought when I was a little kid going, I bet he can just play whatever he, whatever he imagines. And that always kind of stuck with me, like, man, how cool would it be to have that freedom to just... Because then I was just trying to figure out what it, how to play a chord or a pentatonic scale. But so those guys, that, you know, those 70s guys that I mentioned were the, the perfect guys to learn from because they were, they, they were continuing on what they learned from, you know, the, the Becks and Townsends and Pages. Right. Now, those are my guys, see? Those are the guys that I, that I came up listening to. And, and so I think, you know, you and I... Have, well, because because I have an older brother that was 12 years older than I, I had the benefit of, of when you grew up, I had an older brother that was buying all those same records. So I was getting the songs of the day, I suppose, of somebody my age would find naturally. But I had the benefit of being born in 63. I mean, he had every British Invasion record that came out from 64 forward. So, but, the, but he, fortunately for me, he, he got into very good guitaristic stuff. He was a huge Yardbirds fan, you know, had all the cream stuff and all the Jeff Beck group stuff. So there's, there's a bit of that foundation along with all the Beatles is kind of ground zero for me. Those that, those that know me um, would know that. So yeah, I was, I had the benefit of, you know, a mature record buyer in my family not 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 too far, you know, older than me, but old enough to, you know, I've got the benefit of, of the the prior twelve years of, of music history, you know, solidly in the household. And then in the seventies, when I'm buying my own records, that there I picked it up and was okay. But I was a kid, so Kiss was very appealing because of the the theatrics, and it, and Ace Frehley was perfect because he didn't have you know a, a blazing technique, but it was just the right stuff, and he, you know, compositionally, I kind of I kind of liken him to. Uh, being the Slash of his day, where not, Slash didn't necessarily get the respect as like this groundbreaking musician, but but he really is. He, he just he played really memorable solos and that extracted from the song. It's not the same song. Ace was kind of that way. No, he he didn't really get the respect. But for a kid, again, like you say, learning on their own in their bedroom with no teacher, man, it was handy to have somebody present it in such a fashion, right? Yeah. Was there a single point? that you can isolate or a single thing that you heard where he just really, really once and for all oh, won it was you inst- over or was it, or were you just from the, was, from the get go? It was instantaneous and it was, uh, I've got my guitar on and I, I, I don't play like Eddie Van Halen. It would be a pale comparison, but it's the passage at the end of eruption where he's, He's employing this technique that we didn't know at this time how it was being done, but it's it's the you've got your left hand, you know, playing two notes on the fretboard, and then the right hand, the picking hand, would come over, and then so t- two notes with your left hand, your right hand coming over. I mean, you know, people have seen a lot of players do this now, but back then it, we hadn't. No, no, <laughs> so we had not. We were like, you know, this this this, this started happening. And it, and it had this kind of classical, you know, there was there was implied harmony that wasn't just a minor pentatonic. There was there was harmony moving around to where he gets to the end with it. You know, it's like the end of a big opera or something, you know. to the races with their kinks cover <laughs> so 
but it was it really was that it was from you know that first listening to eruption and it was just okay wow so in terms of his overall influence mm. you put him right at the the very upper tier oh he's gonna be along, if there, if there, along with yeah if there's gonna be a mount rushmore uh hopefully we have room for a few extra busts but yeah he's you know hendrix is up there and eddie's up there you know and we can argue on, on mount rushmore you can only have four andy <laughs> oh there's four i'm sorry okay well well just can we <laughs> They talked about additions. I don't know how, how we're going to handle that. But, yeah, who would you pick for the four then, Mike Reiner? What would you? Uh... Well, you would have to pick Hendrix for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've never really thought about it that much. But I don't see how you could put four guys up there and have him not be one of them. I, I, I mean, I agree. For, for somebody who's going to be on Mount Rushmore, mm-hmm. You're talking about somebody who has to change the way the instrument is not only played, but thought, perceived, really the entire place right. of the instrument and the overall musical idiom. And he did that. And that's the other thing to remember, too. I mean, there's there's plenty of genius. I say plenty. There's there's Let's just say there's genius players out there that contribute on such a high level, but it doesn't necessarily enter into the the public mainstream. You know, you can mention a guy like Alan Holdsworth, who's literally one of the most brilliant guys to pick up the instrument or Sean Lane, you know, who sometimes the playing is so esoteric and so above the heads of most, you're not going to, you know, find it in the mainstream. You're going to have guitar players, you know, the, the, you know, the, the really hardcore guitar geeks are just going to go, Oh my God, this is impossible. And I think Eddie was a, a big supporter and fan of, of, uh, of Holdsworth. Alan was doing a lot of those things, but he was he was do, doing it with his left hand only. But he had a really yeah. large stretch. Yeah, he could, he could facilitate a lot of those same sounds. But again, your point is 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 great in that this is a you know band that that was on the radio and in front of a lot of people, especially with the advent of MTV. Now, when they came out, there wasn't there wasn't MTV. I remember, I mean, maybe by the time their record 1984 came out, was that the the record with uh, Jump and all that was? I think so. Okay, so guessing by the title, that was around 1984. I don't know. Um, so, you know, by then, but then it's a whole other level. And you see that, you know, then the, the public's getting to see this guy. And the outrageous David Lee Roth, I take it, that's the guy. I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't Michael Anthony that put you off. No, no, it wasn't, it wasn't Michael Anthony. I'm okay, okay with him. Okay, fine. Well, then we've narrowed it down. I'm, to, I'm okay with Alex, too. So now we've narrowed it, it down out. to one, but you're not saying your name. So, but yeah, and that's the other thing about, I mean, the appeal of Eddie Van Halen. There's, you know, there's some rock, you know, you know gods, whatever you want to call them, the, the the rock stars that are just always kind of grimacing and, you know, looking tough and mean. And he just had so much joy. There was so much joy that you could hear in his playing. But then when you saw him, yeah, he's got this goofy little grin and he's having a great time. Yeah. I love I mean, those moments in the videos where he's just looking at the camera and just kind of laughing. And I, I love that because it's, it's, it's like, you know, like Hendrix, you know, he, if you listen to him speak, his, his, you know, his language was flowery and beautiful. And so was his music. He, you could, you could just tell his music truly represented the person, right? And, and so, and that's what you felt with Eddie when you see, when you saw him play, when you heard him play, there was just this unbridled love for the instrument. And he, and he was able to, 
Oh, this is horrible. Tap into it. That's the worst, <laughs> worst use of the phrase because it is tapping. He's no for, but he really did have that connection between his his free spirit and the music that was coming out of his guitar. And it's pretty rare to have a musician be so um, advanced and so you know evolved that they can really project that. And it's not just a replication of things that they've learned or heard or loved. And there's plenty that, that do that on a high level, and I'm not denigrating them on any level. But sure. There's a, we're talking, again, if we, so far we've got two on Rushmore, so we have two slots to fill. <laughs> but, I, yeah, it, it, I, I would find few t- that would argue his, uh, his, like, his, uh, his true place there. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When it came down to you first seeing him and first listening to him right. and first absorbing his stuff, was there any one thing that he did that you said, okay, I got to learn this first. I got to learn how he's doing this before I do anything else. As I say, there wasn't, we didn't have the benefit of any kind. They weren't, they had, I don't know if they were ever on rock curtain, you know, Don Kircher's rock concert. I don't think they were on midnight special. So I, I hadn't seen him. And here's here's full disclosure. I never got to. I never saw Van Halen. Not once. Not ever got to see them live. No, neither did I. So I mean, that's you know, shame on me. Same with Stevie Ray, and ne- just never was able to do it. And, and just high, obviously, see the greats while you can, kids, because they don't last forever. Sometimes you think they are going to last forever. Oh, I'll see them next time they come around. So it, it was never in the cards. But so the thing that the thing for me th- that I started to you know get into my. Uh, you know, under, under my fingers, what was going on? There was articles in, in Guitar Player magazine where they were showing—I don't even know if it was his hands. It might have been, but it was showed a, a guitar player's hands. Oh, there's the right hand on the fretboard. But there was also a way of of doing the the three note arpeggios where you would have. Let's see how I can do this. 
So right now I'm 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 got the same left hand where I'm fretting two notes. But then if I reach my my right hand, my picking hand, put it behind my left hand on the fretboard and create like a a, a capo behind the three notes that I'm playing. That was me moving my right hand behind the other two notes that I'm playing. And that's how I first learned how to play Eruption. I played it incorrectly for about a year. In, in, fa <laughs> in fact, the first um, – a, a, a quick side note. The first time I got to play in the, the local uh, – it was called Robert Stadium. It's where – my first concert was Kiss in 1976 for the Destroyer Tour, right, with Bob Seger opening up. And uh, – so a few years later, I was in a the lo kind of the local heroes, a band called Taylor Bay, and uh, it was a 1981 or two. God, what was it? Maybe 1981. ZZ Top was on tour, and Grand Funk had reunited and was the opening band. But it was February, and Mark Farner got snowed in in Detroit. You know, I guess where he lived, where the band was from, and they called. They literally called us, the local band, at five o'clock. Hey, can you make it down to Robert Stadium to open up for ZZ Top? And we went, we, we ran down to the Alibi Lounge where our gear was set up and went to the, went to set up at the stadium and we played and we, you know, we had a handful of originals, but we played mostly covers. And one of the things we did was eruption into You Really Got Me. And I think at that point I was still playing it the behind the fretting hand technique incorrectly. So it wasn't, it wasn't until later that, you know, I really became a little bit more adept at uh, the two hand tapping hang. And so, but it was also, it became one of those things where, it was so identifiable to him that unless, you know, it, it, as you, as a player might want to establish their own identity along the way, eventually after, you know, once you go through the, you know, the process of, of the, of the learning, you know, and playing in all the cover bands and that's how any artist or, or musician kind of develops their trade. You know, that's how the Beatles did it. They played covers in Hamburg and played, you know, eight hours a night or whatever it was. And they got their 10,000 hours in pretty quickly. And, and 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 Van Halen and Eddie was one of those guys for me. But you know, there's a handful of guys that took that technique and incorporated it quite well into their own personality. If you think of guys like uh, Steve I or uh, or Joe Satriani or uh, even later Reb Beach from a band a Winger, who really and Reb Reb especially developed a very unique voice, but based on the two-handed tapping thing that he got from Van Halen. But, um, you know, but, but Joe and Steve too, they, they really, you know, you could tell there was a lot of inspiration from Eddie. Yeah. You know, when, when you first started to grasp the technique and everything, mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure exactly where you were along your mm -hmm. developmental curve right. as a player, but was that a hard technique for you to learn? Um, it's, it is a, it, the hardest thing is the control of it because once you get the basic physicality of I don't want to say easy, but it's got it. You know, it's it's not that difficult. What becomes difficult is is the muting of all the other strings. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying because usually for a guitar player, the right hand provides quite a bit of. With the absence of video, it's hard for you guys to see. But as I'm playing a single note with my left hand on the fretboard, you know the the right hand is is dampening all the other strings that I don't want to sound. So, with the two hands, you're just having to do it in a slightly different way. In this regard, the the my middle finger, I'm holding the pick in the normal between my thumb and index finger, but the middle finger reaches over to tap the the, the higher note, but my palm is resting 
uh, firmly on the rest of the strings, not fretting them, but just resting to dampen them. Otherwise, everything starts ringing and it gets very noisy. So it's 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 the, the basic technique isn't that difficult, but getting it to sound clean and having good you know, transitions, but you know between strings, if you. And I will say this is a technique that at a certain point I didn't abandon, but it was just clear that this isn't my, it's not my voice. You know, it's something yeah. that I absolutely love to hear. The handful of players that I'd mentioned, you know, are, are the top of the heap, but it's, it's coming from Eddie. And it's, again, I, I went back before just getting on the, the phone with you guys and, and listened to her because I hadn't listened to Eruption and I don't know how long. And it still did, still turns me on the same way. It's just... It's so freaking great. And again, it's, but to have been the, the young kid at the time and having the awareness of, oh, damn, this really is something new. I, I feel fortunate that I, you know, experienced it. Not that it won't resonate in the same way with anybody listening, you know, today, having the, all the other years of experience come before them, if that's okay. But it's kind of fun to have been there, like for you to have heard Hendrix when you heard him. Yeah, yeah. Eric John, Eric Johnson had a great quote when when he first heard Hendrix. He thought, "Man, it sounds like a vacuum cleaner." You <laughs> get like, yeah, it does. Like the beginning of Foxy Lake or whatever. Somebody even said that he brought a vacuum on stage one night. I wish I could have been there for that. that I wish been. I could have been there for that too. But yeah, I mean, when Hendrix came out, that believe me, there was yeah. nothing like that that we no. had ever seen before. And one of the things I will always oh. remember. Is when Jimmy Barron invited me over to his house one day, and we went into his room, and he said, "Listen to this, man." <laughs> what did he and play? He, what was the he first put song? on? Are you experienced? Oh, I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> dude! So you had all the backwards psychedelicy. Oh God, all wow. of it. it. It was just wow. a mind blow of the highest order. Now, <laughs> now you are a a very original player who is. Yeah. carved your own way your own style and like your fans when they hear you play they don't have to ask who it is mm. if they hear something that you do they they know uh -huh. i mean we know we, we know it's you yeah. I, I we can just tell yeah, but that's how much honor. i appreciate that it's hard for me to know but if, if that's happening i'm i'm happy but believe me believe me when i tell you andy it, it is <laughs> thank happening. you man well thank you brother but um, how much of of stuff, you know, when it comes to borrowing stuff from other guys, sure. you know, we all absorb music and everything like that. And sometimes, I know sometimes for a lot of guys I know who write songs, they tell me that it's hard for them to know where yes. other people's stuff stops and their stuff starts, you know? Yeah, no, it's, and yeah. Do you, it, were, was Eddie so much a part of your guitar psyche that he was at that point with you you know that's it that's interesting i i i i recognize him occasionally and uh there was a record that the andy timmons band did back in the, i think in 2006 it was released and there's a moment and it's not overtly oh that's a van halen thing but in my head it is sometimes it's a matter of sometimes the artist might have the thing in mind but it may not be coming out that way to the to the listener sometimes it's obvious you know and i have and i have plenty of those from other players as well but there's a moment and it's it's really just kind of a chordal let's see if i can replicate it. there's a song called beware dark days 
there's a bridge that uh, it's just a simple uh, chord thing It's the, but the attitude behind it is completely Van Halen. It's not, not just Eddie, but Alex. You know, the way that Mike Dane and uh, Mitch Marine and I were playing together. It was the, the, every time I either play it live or, 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 or happen to hear it back, you know, from the recording, it, it just, it's, I said, there it is. There's, the, there's, there's one of my Van Halen moments. There's likely to be others. But uh, that, that's, just, that's just one of the things. And, you know, there's another passage, too. Hold on. There's the, uh, another... When you hear me getting off mic, I'm, I'm changing packs, patches on my guitar sound. But there's uh, there's another technique that he did. I believe the song was uh, "Women in Love." It's a so it's where he's 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 holding a chord shape, a normal chord shape with his with his left hand on the fretboard, and then with the right hand instead of you know like the tapping where you're fretting the note he's just slapping the string an octave above so he's mirroring it 12 frets above each note so what's going on in my left hand is now being mirrored in my right hand by just slapping the string and it's a beautiful it's, it's a it's like the open string at the 12th fret yeah that's the idea it's right. like a harmonic but you're artificially reproducing it So I had a tune on my that was released on the very first uh, record we did back in the mid '90s, and it was called Electric Gypsy, which is the. But there's a there's a part of the verse where I, I use that technique that I learned from Eddie, which is and this is this is me just kind of realizing it's it's such a part of something that I've done normally for so long that I wasn't even thinking it was from Eddie, but it absolutely is and it's it's uh i just play the melody so i'm just i'm taking how he was playing that chord shape but now i'm just i'm playing melodically with it you know just So yeah, every concert I've done since 1995, I've played that song. So there's a, a much more major. Uh, it just took me a minute to get there, Mike. But yeah, that's uh, that's a big part of something that I do, and it's directly from that Van Halen two record. What did you think when Van Halen started adding in keyboards? Into the great mix? question. That I'm sure that was. Well, of course, it was very controversial, wasn't it? I mean, it, yeah. As I was recall, it on 1980? Yeah, was it on 1984? With, I, think, um, I, think, I think Jump was the first song that I ever heard them have keyboards on. Yeah, and there's another one on that record. What was it? Um, I'll Wait, which is a great song. Okay, but, oh, yeah, but, here's, I'll but, wait. Here's, the, yeah. but here's the dang deal. I, I had no trouble with it because I love the songs. But, you know, I was teaching at a music store in Sunnyland, Florida. I had gone to school down at the University of Miami eventually to study jazz from the, the great jazz department there. 
got a summer gig at uh, at Sunnyland Music, so it would have been 1984. And damned if everybody that came in that music store didn't sit at the piano, and the first thing they did was play Jump. I mean, so here he he'd already influenced, you know, that's not you. So first, the prior six years. Everybody wanted a guitar. It was because of Eddie Van Halen. And then he decides to get on the keyboard. Next thing you know, everybody's playing his riff from the keyboard. That's pretty cool. You know, that's he very cool. He didn't make himself out to be Liberace by any no. stretch or whoever, Van Cliburn. But, you know, damn, he influenced another generation of people. Oh, the, the keyboard's cool. How about that? You know? But you know how things are with these guys. We all oh, <laughs> tend to pigeonhole bands. You mean and, people? Those people? The, yeah. You're talking about people? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean we all tend to pigeonhole I've, I've bands. Met, I've met, yeah, we do. I know. Absolutely. And, and, you know, once a band comes out and they're this, then to a lot of people, well, that that's it. That's all they that's, ever are. That's all they should be. Yeah. That. That's all they should be. Right. And then they come along with, you know, <laughs> songs like those that you just mentioned and the other stuff. Yeah. That um, that yeah. they did like later on there was right now which was a big keyboard driven yeah. song that they did yeah and that changed the the I don't know if it changed the yeah. whole face of Van Halen but it certainly added another yeah. dimension. Well, that's and that's that's the later incarnation too with with Sammy Hagar. So yeah, I think I think things things shifted even more then, uh, no doubt. So, but I you know it's. Now, if, if 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 there's keyboards on the next ACDC record, we might have a problem. Yeah, I, no, the, the, I mean they 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 stopped at bagpipes. Maybe that was a good thing. We will know that if that happens. <laughs> we will know man has bitten dog. <laughs> exactly. So you know, I but again, I I had no trouble, and you had to think that you know maybe that helped uh, their commercial, you know, existence continue, right? Um, whether that whether that was their intent, I mean, I can't speak to. It just doesn't seem like Eddie would have been a guy thinking about, well, we've got to do this to maintain commercial viability. I, I don't know, but it's, it's hard to say. But the same, that same record had Hot for Teacher and, you know, House of Pain and, yeah. and Phantom, Phantom yeah, So Yeah, the, there's no, no doubt what that was. Yeah, well, there I mean, you go. There's, yeah, there's, yeah, that was Van Halen as we knew them. That's Van Halen. I mean, that's that L.A. swagger, you know, that's that, that attitude that the band was known for. So I... Yeah, just speaking personally, it, it didn't bother me. But yeah, I, but I. That being said, I remember when I was in my first bands at thirteen and fourteen. I I just remember having this thought: I'll never be in a band with a keyboard player. I just didn't like. I didn't want to. I didn't want to hear a Fender Rhodes or a Wurlitzer at that point. Now they're some of my favorite instruments. But you know that yeah, you can be a bit. You can pigeonhole yourself as well. <laughs> So I guess the thing to come out of this podcast today, and you being on it, is that Andy Timmons hates keyboard players. <laughs> Yes, please edit that together in such a fashion that will that will get me fired from uh, the the future any group. Yeah, no peace, peace and love, peace and love. I love keyboards, peace and love. Uh, well, we'll think about you know if you were if you're a fan of She Loves You in a Hard Day's Night, and then you know two years later you got Strawberry Fields. You know, um, I don't. I guess some of the girls complained about the mustaches, but you know, I'm not saying that. Uh, Jump was their strawberry fields, but you know, you see where I'm going with this. Sure, don't you? I do see where you're going. With you know, it. I, I think it. I think it's natural for a band or any artist to want to to expand and not just be this one trick thing. I think it was smart for them to do. You know, because they, right, they, they, they had a damn good run. You know. Now let me ask you something, Andy. That people have come to me wanting to know what I thought about and wanted to talk to me about it, mm -hmm. and over the years and. 
I tell them that this only goes to further demonstrate the vast range of Eddie Van Halen's influence. People will come up to me and say, okay, if he's that great, then why is it that you can go into any guitar center on the face of the planet and see some 13-year-old kid who can play everything he did perfectly? And that's what I tell them. That, That just shows... The the range of his influence. Oh, it's 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 huge. Yeah, I don't know if they're playing it perfectly, but no, no, <laughs> I'm quick to add that in too. No, 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 but I mean that's again, like I said about the, the people coming in and playing the the jump riff on the piano when that song was. Yeah, the thing that is that he did spawn all these, you know, potential great guitar players, you know, or just at least people that enjoyed producing some of that sound and, and, and wanting, wanting to do it, you know, that's, that's the mark of somebody that really caused that kind of seismic shift is that, yeah, there's all those kids that are, and me at the age of 57 still trying to do it and not, not doing it very well, but it's, it's, it, you want to, because it's like, you, you know, as a, as a, as a fan, but then as a, a, a you know, a blossoming musician, you know, if you if you're if you're a guitar player on any level and you see a concert, man, the first thing you want to do is run home and do it. You know, you want to participate in what you just witnessed. And man, maybe I can be that that cool or, or hear those notes coming from me. I want to experience what that's like. So, what a what a tribute to you know the difference that he make and and, and the that he made and the, and the legacy that he leaves behind. You know, it's a big one. Another thing that always got me about him and. I'm kind of a nerd for this thing because if there's one thing that I look for in a guitar player, Mm. I mean, every guitar player I go here, every guitar player I've ever played with, I want to see what he's doing when he's not soloing. Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, what's going on there? What's his rhythm playing like? Oh, my God. Um, And Mm. Eddie Van Halen was great at all that, too. (laughs) I mean, he was was a wonderfully well-rounded player. Right. That's what I, that's when I that that example I played earlier of that uh, from uh, Beware Dark Days. It, yeah, me, it was it was my it wasn't me trying to solo like Van Halen. It was me playing chords like Van Halen. Right, right. And that's and again that's another. That's influence. what brought that question to mind. No, that's 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 a really great thing to point out. And uh, it's not that it hasn't been discussed at length, but uh, for the purpose of this situation, this occasion, yeah, he as as we've talked about his you know his virtuosity as a soloist, but he was equally proficient, arguably more so, just as a songwriter and a rhythm guitar player. The the rhythm guitar stuff that he did is so I mean just so rhythmically right for the song. You know, it's got you know if, if it needs to be a ballsy rock swagger, it's there's nobody better. And the sound that he got and the links that he went through to, to really hone that sound, you know, apparently he was quite adept at modifying his guitars and, you know, changing the voltage of the amplifiers to get him to sound a certain way. He worked really hard at it because I think he knew in his head what he was looking for. But man, those, uh, you know, what was it? My favorite riff. <laughs> There's a lot of chunks, you know. You know, you could tell he just had such a such a deep groove with his brother on the drums. You know, it's, I, I kind of was thinking about it the other day. It's like you know the Wilson brothers of the Beach Boys. They sang, you know, siblings tend to really harmonize well together. 
But it's the same with the groove, I think, too. You know, those two just felt things the same way. And that's that's the foundation of everything in that band. There's, you know, no no argument there. But yeah, Eddie's rhythm playing is uh, unparalleled. And, and also as unique and as much of his personality as the virtuosic, you know, tapping and soloing stuff. And then there was Beat It. Oh, man. Of all the things that he did, <laughs> yep. I guess because it involved the king of pop at a time yeah. when he was thought of in a little bit different way than he might be today. Why? What happened? Oh, this is <laughs> that. <laughs> look at his Wikipedia page. Oh, look at the Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, because it was it involved Michael Jackson and yeah, he was, was when he, he, he was at the king of pop and everything like that, and all of a sudden... Out of the blue, here is this song which turned out to be maybe the seminal song in the career of Michael Jackson. Yeah. And they're whipping out this incredible, <laughs> savage guitar solo. And only incredible. the way that he could yep. is Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. What, what year was that? What year did the Thriller come out? Was that, that was 80, 80, um, 83, 84, something okay. like that? Right at, uh, maybe right before the 1984 record came out. Yeah, yeah. Things just came together. I mean, obviously, Jackson was at his peak. It was just really the biggest thing on the planet. And so, uh, yeah, the story goes that I guess Quincy Jones was producing the record and called Eddie, but it took him several calls to convince Eddie that it was really Quincy. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. And so, but yeah, that, it's, that may be his most iconic solo. For me, it will always be Eruption in that era, but... yeah. Yeah, to be to be called in, you know, by uh, by such a huge pop artist, and then just let him do his thing, and it is—it's just incredible. It's this great energetic moment. I think it's the thing that brought him, and by proxy them, really into the mainstream. I think you're right. That's that's a, that's a really good point, and especially well timed. If that didn't, we'll have the people with the Googles out there can help us out, but. It's likely that that was before 1984 because that record then, you know, that was, that has to be their biggest selling record, right? I don't, I don't know. Perhaps I should have done my research before this. Well, but. I probably should have done mine too, but I just wanted to come on here and have a conversation with no, you about it, this. And that's the best, and that is the best way. So, but that, that, that was kind of the two pivotal things. And it, um, and it wouldn't surprise me if the beat it came first or was it just before that, you know? But you know, it was it was, and it did it. It put him on the world stage on, a, on an even higher level. Everybody knew who Eddie Van Halen was. If they didn't the, before, they did then for sure. The, the trademark, you know, red and white stripy thing that he would do, and yeah, it was it was cool. And then let, I mean, let's call it for what it is. I'm a I'm a happily married heterosexual guy, but he was just cool looking. He was a good looking dude that had a great vibe, right? And so it's just everything combined in in one you know, one person. It was just, it was just incredible. So once he, he was on that stage and people just kind of fell in love with him and, and rightfully so, he just seemed like, seems like a fun guy to be around and he's just a badass, you know? Were you familiar with the guitars that he played when he first came onto the scene? Uh, I, I became involved I and mean, later was a, a Kramer endorser. So he, uh, I think his early, early guitars prior to associating with the Kramer company were modified. There's one that's an Explorer that's actually an Ibanez, uh, modified you know, explorer copy and then there's the one that's the franken strat that black and yellow thing and yeah might have, i don't know if that was a fender or if it was a parts guitar uh, again there's going to be some uh, deeper historical information out there but eventually he started working with the kramer company in the in the mid 80s maybe 
I've heard that they. That was my first endorsement when I ended up with Danger Danger in the late 80s. Yeah. It was actually through Buddy Blaze, who was the artist relations guy for Kramer, being from being from Texas that, you know, though Kramer was in New Jersey, heard about me locally and got me with that uh, that that company, which was, again, you know, a big thing because Eddie had made it a huge company mm -hmm. by his association. You know, I've heard that the Frankenstrat wound up in the casket of Dimebag Daryl. That's true. That is absolutely true. I was not there for that, but I, I've 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 often heard about that. Yeah, and it was put there by Eddie himself. Uh, I, you know, in explaining this to my son Alex, who's sixteen, and Alex, you know, was into he was into rap for a while, which I didn't, you know, really get into that much. But he had a buddy of his that was into Slipknot and Pantera. So next thing, eventually, I started hearing. You know, Slipknot and Pantera coming through my son's bedroom. I'm like, all right, there's some guitar. This is good. He, hear, he hears enough guitar with me around. Maybe that's why he was going a different direction. But so he really became a big fan of, of Dimes. And um, and so he knew he knew about Van Halen a little bit, I think, through that. But, you know, when I explained uh, that Eddie, when Eddie had passed, I said, yeah, this was, this was Dimes' guy, you know, to, to kind of give him some perspective of how big and how important that Eddie was, you know, that... Uh, you know, his guitar hero, uh, meaning my 16-year-old son that's learning, you know, much later about all this was, was Daryl. And, you know, Daryl learned so much from, from Eddie and Ace, too. He was a big Ace guy like me. Yeah. All right, one more, Andy. Sure, buddy. And then I will let you off the hook here. Mm. And this is a hard one. All right. Where does he rate in the pantheon of guitar players? Well, didn't we? we yeah, we've already started the Rushmore, but yeah, the the ratings. That's that's tough because, you know, I uh, he just he, he's upper echelon. I don't even know how to quantify. We're talking percentage points or top tens or whatever we want to get into. But there's just no disputing um, the impact that the guy had. The the. The respect that he garnered from that's another level too. There's one thing it's one thing to have acclaim and popularity and record sales. Um that uh, that does not always equal the respect of the 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 upper musician, the upper echelon of musicians. But I think that he would just check every single box um of most, unless you might have some classical or jazz knobs. But anyway, if we're talking about rock guitar. I, I can't imagine anybody arguing to the contrary that he doesn't belong in the top five um, of most influential players and, and most respected players. Nor can I. Yeah, man. Andy Timmons, I cannot thank you enough uh, for doing thank, this today. Thank you, Michael. Honor, honor to be uh, honored to be asked. And again, it's it's after a lifetime of. It just kind of seems like well, it's. It's it's not I don't take it for granted, but it's just been part of our lives, you know. And it's one of those guys that when he passed, you know, it just it, it really it really hit hard, you know. It's a couple of days of like I didn't feel like working, I didn't feel like playing. It, I did. I, I ended up writing some music, so that I'll, I'll put that out eventually. Not a Van Halen tribute so much, but just something in honor of him. But but thanks for asking me to do this. It's great to talk to you, man. Hopefully we'll. Uh, We'll do more in the future, even if just with a beer somewhere when we're allowed to uh, yeah, rock, and roll, rock and roll in person again. <laughs> right, when those days come back about. And they shall. We shall return. They shall. We will yeah, be back. Man. All right, that is Square One with the great Andy Timmons. If you got something to say about this or anything else we've done on Square One, you can reach me at the Old Gray Wolf 
at gmail.com at Twitter. I am the old gray wolf. You can also find me on Facebook. We will be back very, very soon with another episode of square one here on the athletic. Thanks for listening. Everybody. Everybody.